0: Up.
1: reading in toilet is a bad habit which will prolong the time of defecation and cause hemorrhoids hello and welcome to the china podcast are you feeling festive oh yes we've had a big week not as big as westlife but we'll get around to that in a bit uh thanks to everyone who listened to last week's episodes they were an absolute joy to produce I decided at the last minute to record a bonus episode with two guys I have the pleasure of working and running with, uh, and they're based here in Chongqing, Gab and Edmund, both from France. Uh, we had a very fulfilling chat about the Jialing River Half Marathon that we all ran last Sunday, um, and we also spoke about health and fitness in general. Uh, yeah, and I'm really grateful to both of them for joining me at such short notice. It was a...
0: Bloody good interview too, it really was. Um, well, thank you. Yeah, it was good. Um, and you survived the big run anyway, um, that's the main thing. Uh, what kind of time did you get? One hour, 56 minutes and 35 seconds. 35 seconds is important. Very important. Very important. Mm. You, know, you need to get down to 34. You know? Yeah, that's the goal. That's the goal. That's the goal. Yeah. And that was your New, fir- New Year's resolution. New Year's resolution. <laughs> Get it down by a shave second. that second off. Yeah. And that was your first half marathon, yeah? Yeah.
1: First time.
0: Yeah, so and that's going from running five and ten K's last year, were you? Uh
1: even this year. Yeah, this year. Uh on a few occasions I've run more than ten. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. once eighteen and two or three times around three twelve to yeah. twelve mark.
0: Jesus, that's that's good going. I surprised it, myself, I, I was yeah.
1: astonished at that time Did you enjoy it? I did, I did, it was, it was easily my highlight of the year uh, The weather was good and all the competitors had a blast yeah. uh, And something I'll definitely do again and again and again because I was buzzing after it
0: So an hour and 56, how far is that off the world record?
1: Uh, for the same distance, uh, almost an hour Jeez. So we're talking about shaving uh, a second off my time. <laughs> <laughs> how about shaving an hour off the time? I was like, that's that's just so hard to wrap your head around, isn't it? That's, that's like how great. can how can someone run twice as fast and maintain that pace for twenty one kilometers?
0: You couldn't drive twenty one kilometers in an hour half the time. Who <laughs> who's the world record holder?
1: Uh, Yeah, he's 21, and his name is Jacob Keplimo, uh, and he's from Uganda. Uh, Yeah, he ran the distance in 57 minutes and 51 seconds. Because we're talking a world record, we have to include the seconds this time. They're so, so important. Uh, Yeah, and he set this, this record in November of this year.
0: So what he could have done was lined up for the start, put on the episode about Monkey hmm Right Yeah Put in his earphones Uh-huh Ran a world record Mm-hmm Crossed the line And still had five minutes to Five minutes of that podcast left
1: And still have five minutes Or He could have Sat there For yeah. uh, An hour Yeah Listened to the podcast And then decided I'm gonna run now And yeah. come back Probably around the same time as I did <laughs> <laughs> <Do you know laughs> listen, what I mean
0: listen to the podcast and then start uh, running. We're talking yeah.
1: about an hour's head start, yeah. you know. Um, right.
0: and so the the other episode that we put out was the it was about the monkeys and the, that's a story I adore.
1: Yeah, and there's one important thing that I forgot to mention last week and I was bloody kicking myself after because I had it scribbled in the margin when I was um writing up my research. Yeah. Uh so right, the album Monkey which came out following the opera. Uh this was the first top 10 record to be released in the UK in the Mandarin tongue. Now that's quite an an achievement.
0: It absolutely it, it doesn't surprise me though. Um like when you hire Dave and Albarn to oversee a project, yeah, you're guaranteed quality. Yes, you are. Yes, um
1: that guy just his his legacy, the legacy that he has in, in what, two, three decades is, yeah. is quite something. Um, and can you recall what Damon Alburn said about the Chinese singers that came over for rehearsals for the opera?
0: I do, yeah. He said he wanted to beat the pop idol out of them. <laughs> he
1: did, yeah. <laughs> so what do you think he'd make of Westlife and their brand of manufactured pop?
0: <sighs> he'd probably send his band gorillas to go sort them out. Yeah, so... All right, we're going to talk about Westlife for a couple
1: of minutes. Uh, who are they? Who are Westlife for the uninitiated? Well, they are four lads, used to be five, with lovely voices from Ireland. Um, they're hugely popular, or at least they were usually popular. I honestly don't know if they still are. Uh, and from a personal point of view, I don't really care. They're I just, mean, they're just not my cup of tea. Yeah. Um, I. I prefer other uh, genres of music. Um, But yeah, we're venturing here into the dark realm of manufactured pop music. Uh, Think lovely voice competitions and young people with a pretty face. Uh, And Westlife, they began as a six-piece. They had lovely voices, but three of them were told that they weren't pretty enough. Uh, And so, back in the day, we're talking late 90s here, Auditions were held to replace them. Uh, two were hired, and a group managed by a fellow called Louis Walsh, uh, who you could best describe as a mogul of the manufactured pop music scene.
0: Yeah, we all know we all know Louis Walsh, and, and so Ireland <clears> had <throat> another new boy band. The previous one being Boyzone, and Westlife arrived at a time in the late nineties when boy bands and girl bands and cringy one-hit wonders dominated the airwaves. It was a terrible time for music. To give Westlife credit they had a string of best selling hits and became millionaires and that such was the fandom. Uh so why do we even bother talking about them? Well, they're back. They're back with a bang here in China. They're waving the lasso, they're reeling in some poor unfortunates and last Friday they appeared to a Chinese audience with a bit of a song and a chat. Right, and being Irish, uh,
1: do you beam with pride that Westlife played up to such a massive
0: uh, audience last Friday night? Two, I go both ways with it. Right, I go both ways with it because somebody's going to do it anyway, mm. so it might as well be them. Do I do I appreciate the music? No, um, but yeah, whatever. Like, yeah, I go both ways. I I I would rather. They didn't exist But they do exist So let them exist Mm -hmm. And that's That's where I'm coming from They're nice lads They seem alright like Yeah They do seem Mm alright You know They Mm -hmm. seem like a good Bunch of guys Yeah Um, Don't begrudge them a penny like No No Not at all
1: Uh, But here in China Yeah it was pure uh, Westlife mania Last weekend Uh, I read it was Organised by WeChat Uh, I don't know if that's True or not I didn't check But uh, More than 20 million Chinese people tuned into Westlife's first online concert, uh, which specifically targeted the Chinese market. Um, But they didn't half revel
0: in it, did they? Oh, no, they were shooting at the gallery. Uh, In the days that followed many Chinese social media platforms, they all exploded with posts about Westlife and hashtag advocates like this one. The hashtag Westlife received 150 million views And the online concert earned 140 million likes. Oh, that's something else, 140 eh? million. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Those figures are astronomical. (laughs) Isn't it? Astronomical.
1: small, probably, in Chinese terms. Yeah. Um, But yeah, there was one comment on WeChat that read, (laughs) when the rhythm of the song My Love came, I can't even hold my tears. This is my favorite English song when I was young. Being immersed in the music and seeing the singers, I felt my youth has come back. Did you write that one on?
0: <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was singing. I was singing Westlife like just randomly. I was singing Westlife in the school there mm. um, a month ago. Just randomly singing Westlife just popped in your head. Just popped in nowhere. my head. Loads of Chinese people know Westlife. Mm. Loads of them. Mm. Um, but for many of the Chinese born in the eighties and the nineties, Westlife songs, they were often their first interaction with Western music. Um, although I could probably count on one hand a number of times I've heard Westlife being played here. Um, it's not as if there's like a frenzy, a frenzy like what we witnessed over the weekend. It wasn't like, that was a frenzy.
1: That was a frenzy. Yeah. 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 Classic example of a frenzy. Mm. Um, But yeah, what really got people excited was the fact that at the end of the online concert, they surprised everyone and sang a popular Chinese ballad in Mandarin, okay, called The Road to Ordinary. Uh, And again, we have more comments online. One social user said that it really surprised me to see the band sing a Chinese song with such good pronunciation. Uh, This is also a chance for cultural exchange, right? Owen, if you were granted the choice of putting forward one Irish band or group for a cultural exchange purposes, who would that be? For me, I think the obvious call would be somebody like the Pogues.
0: Yeah. I, I'd say We're
1: talking Irish culture and exchanging that with, with, with the Chinese.
0: If you're going, yeah. With, you're with you're another country, looking anybody. To, looking to exchange culture, you go with the Pogues. Christy Moore maybe mm-hmm, Yeah I, Like I could I could get behind Christy Moore The Dubliners The
1: Dubliners Sinead O'Connor Sinead O'Connor that's another good example She's a good example the Cranberries
0: Yeah They know the Cranberries You know They, they do. do Yeah that's true They know the Cranberries But I'd probably go If, we're, looki- if
1: we're looking at Groups like, that use uh, Traditional Irish um, Instruments
0: That's what I would That's mm. what I would go with Like mm. so I'd go with the Pogues Or I'd go with the Dubliners Or You know somebody a little bit more that's not not so manufactured that's not so like it's not it's not a a because Westlife could be from anywhere they could be from anywhere they could be American it could be English it could be it doesn't matter like Mm -hmm. they're just a a band Mm -hmm. they're like the gap you know the gap is a shop and it exists not as an American shop it's just a shop yeah you know and that's what Westlife are to me anyway um Did you know that many fans, they actually spent money, and we're talking several hundred yuan here, to buy a digital gift for the band? Like, that's nuts. What can you actually do with a digital gift? It appears and then it disappears almost immediately. Yeah, uh, like, I
1: I struggle to understand the giddiness that that accompanies such an event. Uh, Several hundred yuan, yeah, that's like hundred dollars yeah. I mean you're you're paying for like a snowman that appears and then just and then it just disappears danishes. and then the money is gone it's yeah.
0: no longer in your yeah. account
1: yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah Westlife they now have uh, an official Weibo account um, Owen do you see this as a like a one off thing or do you expect to see them continue to tap into the Chinese market in the future or yeah what about other groups might they feel inspired to do the same like the Backstreet Boys or somebody in uh, N- sync.
0: Okay. Westlife will do it again because that's a lot of money. Mm, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a lot of people. It's a lot of people, oh, it's a think lot of money. It's gonna have to keep them satisfied, and, a, and they're gonna have to keep, and there's gonna have to be more songs in Chinese, I think. But I don't know. I really I hope not. Um I apologize for this, but it's music for ten year olds. Um, hence the term boy band. But if you do like Westlife they have a new album out um, in which the Guardian newspaper in Britain, it described it as having a desperate, divorced dad energy. It did. Gave it two stars <laughs> out of five. Uh, right. Question for you.
1: What do Westlife and the Sex Pistols have in common?
0: <sighs> they both love the Queen. <laughs> no. <laughs> did you see their English now? Did you see Westlife or English They are now? English under their Weibo, yeah. under Weibo, their English mm, they're English, They're from
1: London, the UK. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They, they can... That's, that's all right. Yeah, yeah. Let them. Let, are, let them on. Let them on. We let don't them want on. them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, But yeah, uh, Westlife and Sex Pistols, they are both manufactured bands. Did you know that?
0: I did. I, did, I knew that the, the Sex Pistols were manufactured to promote a clothing store mm-hmm. which was owned by Malcolm McLaren. Yep. Um, he created and managed them. He was the owner of a punk fashion store called sex and he even said to john lyden uh that's johnny rotten um he said that he held the audition in his shop
1: mm-hmm. yeah. yeah
0: um and yeah they were they were brought
1: together to sell clothes basically uh but ultimately the sex pistols were highly successful on the the punk scene at the time um and they inspired so many others um And they did have that one great record that I think still holds up today. Uh, Not the best of musicians, perhaps with the exception of Glenn Matlock. Uh, And when he left the band, of course, or was kicked out or or whatever happened, whatever the reasoning was, um, that practically was the beginning of the end, a tragic end for the band. Um, And if... Yeah, if you're yeah. look if you're looking for authenticity in punk music from that era, The
0: Clash. You should look. Yeah, look no further than someone the like The Clash, clash. London Call, you won't be disappointed. Right. So I was thinking about the the art gallery that you couldn't get into over the last while. Yeah, I'm I'm sure it was just the time that I was there and it wasn't open. And I thought that myself because I was looking into a few advertisements that were going around, and there were a few for art exhibitions around the city. And did, did any of them catch your eye? There's this one that's listed as pop punk called the Multiplayer Exhibition.
1: All right, so that sounds interesting. Uh, not cyberpunk, but pop punk, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. This is the byline. The world is experiencing unprecedented technological changes and intellectual evolution. The theme of the fourth iArt youth programme, Multiple Players, emphasises the sense of participation and also attempts to describe the possibility of new forms of exploration of cultural ecology, art circles and artistic creations. What do you think of that?
1: That's quite the mouthful. Intriguing though.
0: Yeah, well, art circles are art circles and artistic creation is artistic creation, but mm-hmm. cultural ecology. Mm. Cultur- tell, tell me about it. Cultural ecology is the study of changes to social and physical environments. So we have to look at the changes that take place in these environments. Uh, social environments are very different nowadays. Um, back in my day, we didn't. We never had any of these newfangled smartphones.
1: Yeah, nowadays people, they almost always meet online, uh, send a message before they, they ever meet face-to-face, socially. Uh, unless, of course, they're, they're work colleagues or something like that.
0: And what do you make of changes to physical environments? Same thing, really,
1: is it not? Uh, people, they're working from home, classes have gone online, shopping, food ordering, pretty much everything is online now. Even when you go to a restaurant, they might have a QR code on the table so you can scan it, then order your food. You don't even need to ever talk to a waiter.
0: I went to get a burger the other day and it was it was exactly like that.
1: Mm, it's very interesting from an artistic point of
0: view, trying to reflect that. Uh, did you go? I haven't gone yet, um, but it runs till February, so I'll make it over there at some point. I might come with you. It sounds great. Yeah, it does sound good. Now, are you ready for two big words? Go on, go on. Right, we have diachronically, diachronically, and synchronically. Oh, they are big. They are big. And now, what they are is diachronically and synchronically. Mm. Synchronically means at the same time, and diachronically means across the aspects of time across the across the eras. And okay. And they're ways that you study cultural ecology <clears throat> and, the, and the changes in environments. Okay. Now, what you said there was synchronistic. Right, and it was at this time. So we've got the smartphones and stuff, and that's Mm -hmm. that's a change now. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to find a relationship between art and art form that has existed for thousands of years, and how people in China are today in their day-to-day lives, and the art form, Chinese painting.
1: All right. Okay. So. When you say Chinese painting, and this is something... Chinese painting is something I'm beginning to appreciate more and more the the longer I live in China. Um, But you mean the... We're talking about classic styles of landscapes and waterfalls, lots of bamboo, birds and flowers, that sort of stuff. That's
0: exactly the stuff, yeah.
1: Yeah, and you often see the like poems or characters yeah. short passages whatever they are on those artworks too yeah. that
0: going, going down along the side and you do and there's a reason for that so can you think like can you think of it cuz they're all made with ink can you think of what it is um
1: well yeah as you say the paintings are made with ink usually on paper
0: or or silk so i suppose it makes a bit of sense yeah and it leads nicely into the chinese words for art appreciation in chinese you don't Look at a painting. You read a painting.
1: Okay, uh, yeah, the Chinese for read is du, so du hua.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right.
1: Chinese painters, yeah, they more often than not reject the use of colour. So like a photographer who prefers to work in black and white, the Chinese artists regard colour as a distraction. They also shy away from the use of shadows and opaque pigments to conceal mistakes. Instead, they use the indelible mark of the inked brush, a calligraphy brush, the same ones used to write.
0: And so tell me, what do you know about calligraphy?
1: Right. What I know is that traditionally every literate person in China learned as a child to write by copying the standard forms of Chinese ideographs, uh, ideographs being symbols that represent a meaning. Uh, That is how Chinese is written. Uh, So... The student was gradually exposed to different stylistic interpretations of these characters. Uh, He or she copied the great calligrapher's manuscripts, which were often preserved on carved stones so that rubbings could be made. Uh, Then there were different types of scripts, like seal seal scripts, clerical scripts, running scripts and cursive scripts. Uh, And of course, the fusion of these form types into standard scripts in which the the individual brush strokes that make up each character, they're balanced uh, script. Everyone, they're like a balanced script. Everyone can learn, uh, and over time, the calligrapher evolved his own personal style, one that was a distillation and reinterpretation of earlier models.
0: And of course, in China, this was required to become a member of the elite.
1: Yes, uh, a good hand was one criterion, together with a command of history and literary style. Uh, that determined who was recruited into the government through civil service examinations. Uh, And we touched upon civil service examinations before. They've been around for hundreds of years uh, and haven't changed that much. Um, But yeah, those who succeeded came to regard themselves as a new kind of elite, uh, a meritocracy, scholar officials responsible for maintaining the moral and aesthetic standards established by the political and cultural paragons of the past, it was their command of history and its precedents that enabled them to
0: influence current events and it was those very people who essentially cast judgment through the ages of the rulers of the time that's
1: right uh, they chronicled everything in their court writings and diaries and even in their poetry
0: and what would happen if they didn't dis- if they didn't agree with the ruler so when an emperor ignored the advice of his officials uh, was
1: unjust or immoral scholar officials regularly resigned from government and they chose to live in retirement Uh, times of dynastic change were especially fraught and loyalists of a fallen dynasty usually refused service under a new regime scholar officials were at times also forced out of office they were banished as a result of factionalism uh, by those in power and in these times
0: they would turn to art to express their beliefs and the the artwork they created it often had its meaning obfuscated or hidden, but even when concealed in poetry and plo- prose, beliefs could incite reprisals. The 11th century official Susha, for example, he was nearly put to death for writing poems that were deemed seditious. As a result, these men honed their skills in the art of misdirection
1: veiled attacks on the previous dynasty hidden in plain sight in art and poetry.
0: Yeah, that's easy. that's it. Yeah. Scholar official painters, they most often worked in ink and paper and they chose subjects like bamboo trees or waterfalls that could be drawn using the same brush skills used for calligraphy. This set their style of painting apart from that preferred by court artists or professionals and they were proud of their status as amateurs they created a new and distinctly personal form of painting in which calligraphy brush strokes were the means employed to animate their subjects another distinguishing feature of what came to be known as scholar amateur painting is its learned references to the past the the choice of a particular antique style linked the work to the personality and ideals of an earlier painter or calligrapher. And style became a language which was used to convey beliefs. Uh, Since scholar artists
1: employed symbolism, style and brushwork to show their beliefs and feelings, they left portrait work to professional artisans. Such craftsmen might be skilled in capturing a likeness, but they could never hope to convey the deeper aspects
0: of a man's character. Um, Yeah, and these... Paintings that were not just used by the amateur ex-officials. They were just as often painted by sitting officials and they were given as gifts within court. They became a way of passing on the writings of those officials and moving up the bureaucratic ladder. The
1: artists giving a gift of of a writing to a superior, effectively giving permanence to what was the topic of the day or the general consensus around
0: court. Yeah, And once poetic inscriptions became a part of the composition, the recipient of the painting or a later appreciator, they'd often add their own, their own inscription, their own response. And therefore, the painting was never finished when the artist stopped painting. But it would continue to evolve as later owners and admirers added their own inscriptions and seals. And right. Where is the relationship between this and the present day? Well, this has to do with the type of culture that China is. So we're looking at this through um, an anthropological lens, the study of human behavior. China is what's called in anthropology a high-context culture. And a
1: high-context culture as opposed to a low-context culture. Uh, This is a measure of how important context, context is to a society. Uh, this usually refers to language groups doesn't it
0: it does I'm gonna have a great example I have a great example here right say I'm going now to me I am going now good mm, that I uh, that isn't exactly the response that you would
1: expect from a friend but that is what you say in Chinese isn't it it is um yeah. how uh, mm. it's it's not Zola. necessarily ha. yeah it's mm. not necessarily what you say but how you say it um the context matters a lot
0: yeah um so we we listen to it and we think that's that's a bit rude. Just because mm. English is a low context.
1: It's the same uh, as how they they say goodbye on the phone. They don't say the words goodbye. Yeah. Talk to you soon. No, they just They don't they don't say a million goodbyes like we do in Ireland. It's yeah. just simple.
0: It's just bye. Cut to the point. Yeah, good. Yeah. Hang up. Yeah. So that's it. Conversation yep. over. Good. Yep. And as you say hang up. It sounds rude to us. It sounds rude to us, but mm. that's because we're used to conversing in English. Yeah. And English is what's called a, a low-context mm-hmm. culture. We like to dot our I's and cross our T's and mind our P's and Q's. And generally, it's an effort that we go through to say the polite thing in any given situation.
1: Yeah, and for Chinese people, the effort is in in how things are presented. The context behind the conversation is almost more important than the perceived politeness of the language used Obviously, there are things in Chinese that you can say which are rude and you shouldn't say them. Um, that goes without saying, but they don't have the same tenses of, of language and the over a million words that English does. The opportunity to offend someone through your speech speech is much, much less.
0: Yeah, and studies have been performed on responses from managers to work environments in America, China and Korea. And what they found was that Chinese managers are more socially orientated, less confrontational and more complacent with existing ways of living. And that's a direct quote from the study.
1: Yeah, you you see that in China. People, they tend to respect their bosses a lot here. They show great deference to people in positions of authority. Uh, And they always try to refer to people by their titles. So it's Teacher Chan and Engineer Joe uh, referring to people by their accomplishments, their positions, basically, from the outset. And uh, in a way, they are establishing the context.
0: Yeah, and and that's collectivism and individualism. Collectivist cultures are generally high context. So Mm. India, China, Japan, Korea, and individualist Uh, being uh, low-context cultures, the Germanics, the Latins, the Scandinavian language groups.
1: Yeah, so collectivism, collectivist societies, they prioritize the group over the individual and vice versa for individualist ones. Uh, In high-context cultures, language may be used to assist and maintain relationship building and to focus on process. India and Japan are typically high context, highly collectivistic cultures where business is done by building relationships and maintaining
0: respectful communication. And to succeed in a high context society, you need to understand a few things. There is implicit information, information that you must know before communication occurs. There's uh, common knowledge that must be shared. Rank needs to be respected. And emotions are visible; they're less often vocalized, and there's a nuance to communication, which basically sounds to us like flirting around the issue.
1: Yeah, and that of course can lead to a lot of miscommunication here in China between between Westerners, expats, and uh, and Chinese people. Um, yeah, a lot of the time, that information uh, that's being communicated is in the body language and not in the words which can be frustrating to
0: us. Yeah, because what you say has permanence. Uh, high context cultures tend to be more stable as their communication is more economical. It's vast, it's efficient, and it's satisfying. But these are the gained at a price of devoting time into pre-programming cultural background. Low, t- low context cultures, they tend to change more rapidly and drastically, allowing extension to happen at faster rates, But this also means that low context communication may fail due to the overload of information. Now, this is a quite
1: traditional view of culture based on language, isn't it? It is. It is. Uh, And I would assume that these cultural phenomenons need to be viewed in the looking glass of the language they are spoken in. Uh, Learning another language, for instance, should then lead to the ability to communicate across different cultural norms.
0: Yeah, if you want to be a success in China, you have to understand their culture, and that's that's a given, and vice versa. you know, If Chinese people want to be a success in the West, they have to understand the Western culture.
1: Yeah, it's not just the language. Yeah. Um, so if you live in China, you will constantly be surrounded by people that grew up in a culture that taught them to save face or do what they can to retain the respect of others this means that you might have to act a bit differently around these people compared to how you'd act towards your family and friends for instance in in your home country if somebody does something in front of you that could be construed as embarrassing you probably shouldn't laugh at them and joke about it you you may think it's funny but the other person might not agree Sometimes the concept of face is hard to understand for people that don't care about how others see them. However, you have to do your research on things like this and be respectful of the culture that you're in. Yeah, losing
0: face in China is, it's caused by embarrassment or disagreement or criticism. Losing face is equal to losing the respect of others and avoiding this situation is saving face. It's very important in Chinese culture. In In the workplace, you'll notice the tactics that your superiors use to avoid losing face. And you may also notice how much effort they expend to save face. And this can be greatly linked to the ideas of Confucianism. Although understanding this from a Western viewpoint can be really difficult. Which are the same values that are written on the ink with paintings, yeah? Exactly that. And there is a permanence with your day-to-day dealings with people, just like there is a permanence in using ink on silk. It can't be erased.
1: So sometimes when you deal with a person in China and they are displeased, they probably won't tell you. If they are wrong, they will lose face. And if they are right, you will lose face. So they stay silent.
0: And with that, what say you and I call it a podcast?
1: Yes, keep your face about you, even when everyone else is losing theirs. People, uh, like, subscribe, listen to us wherever you listen to us.
0: Give us a follow. Goodbye for now. Toodles. <laughs>
1: 我不说话就骂何人了<笑>